I want to remember for helping people out and helping them unlock their potential, and 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 seeing that, and hopefully thinking that they they can feel that they can pay it for themselves through what I've provided them. That was Ying Tang, and this is Guild Stories. Welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story, and it's the stories that connect us all. I am Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content. We are so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we will explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers who are going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. All right, y'all, welcome back. Uh, I am proud to... Uh, discuss our first former Apple um, exec on the on the podcast. So this is a, a fun, you know, only in Kansas City type story that we got connected to today's guest, Ng. Um, uh, so I'll intro Ng, Ng Tang, uh, former Apple, and among other places, which we'll, we'll talk about. Um, but Ng left Apple a few months ago to start a new real estate investment company. Um, and he's got a really cool model, which uh, we'll, we'll hear about for sure. Um, but he's the founder and CEO of Tuzi Capital. And you can find them at Tuzi, T-O-U-Z-I, capital, C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Um, but yeah, man, pumped to have you, Ng. So welcome to Guild Stories. Thanks, Justin. I'm excited to be on. Yeah, so uh, how did a guy like you get connected to uh, a, a knucklehead like me in, in the Midwest, my man? <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> with everything with real estate and life in general, it's all about who you know. Uh, and we have a great mutual friend, amazing beard man, amazing host, <laughs> Jared <laughs> Keneally. Uh, he, he, he's he been really great at connecting people. And I find that that's one of the probably my favorite parts about real estate, that mm. there's no, or, or, or starting any company, there's no like, there's no like uh, guide to do something. You mm. just gotta like ask and figure out who does it. Ask around. Just assume you know nothing and try to m- learn from everybody. Yeah, man. Well said. Yeah, somebody randomly in a in a meeting we were in was like. Yeah, we're in the relationship business. I was like, dude, we all are, bro. Like everybody, like, we we all are. And and Jared uh, Fellow Guild Stories interviewee uh, was was our connection point, which is great. So h- help me, you know, kind of jump us into the to the deep end of of your story. Your, your website does a great job of kind of walking back all the way to your childhood. And and if you're open to it, man, I'd love to um, I'd love to hear it. I, I've read it, but I'd love to kind of hear in your words, like, um, you know, wind us back all the way to childhood and, and then we'll, we'll navigate your journey kind of all the way up until, uh, the Tuesday day. So let's, let's go for it. If you're open to it, man. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely open to that. So I was born in a refugee camp in Thailand. My parents immigrated to America when I was two. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back when they were growing up in uh, under Pol Pot in Cambodia, so that's where they're from. Um, you could classify it as a genocide because half of the Chinese Cambodians were killed off. That's technically a class of genocide. I think there's like a percentage number Jeez. that needs to be hit. In any case, uh, it's it's very interesting. I've, I've gone back a few times to Cambodia. 
Um, obviously, I'm not as like familiar with it from a personal point of view. I do have amazing pictures of me in straw huts and chasing chickens. Really? So like I from your to... like 18 month old days. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. I was I was apparently uh, always chasing chickens and just walking around the camp. And I've heard uh, crazy stories where like soldiers would, um, you know, check the tents and my mom would uh, hide inside the walls and they would just be a lookout point. Um, I, I, I think about all that when, when I think about how much my two-year-old oh. has and how much I care about if he falls or, you know, changes mm. and, and any bugs. I'm like, I, I, I grew fine. I think, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I guess I never had an AB test on that. Yeah. But the, 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 the perspective, I mean, yeah, I can't even imagine, right? Like you, um, quite literally grew up and were born into circumstances that most would, would only fear or dread or, or watch on the news. Right. And, and, and now, you know, not without fast forwarding all the story. Now you, you have your own two year old son who, uh, lives quite differently. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah, I have my own two-year-old son. I have one on the way. Uh, and it, it's a very interesting story. Um, and, I've only, and I haven't gone as deep into it as I probably should. Um, I should probably do it one day where I chronologue, uh, you know, interview my parents about it. Mm. But my brother was, um, he's two years older than me. And so he was one and a half when we were traveling, uh, or not we, I guess I was in the room, uh, mm. from Cambodia through the jungles to Thailand. Jeez. And, and I remember that, um, them telling me that they had to drug all the kids so that they wouldn't cry. So he's like, be as quiet as possible. Gosh, Take the jungles. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a crazy story. Can't, I can't even relate as much as I can. And the funny thing is, uh, I, I'll fast forward a little bit, but I'll go back later. Um, I went, I attended the Peace Corps. And one of the reasons primary drivers of attending Peace were going to become a Peace Corps volunteer was to relate as much as possible to my parents' experience. Um, mm-hmm. I actually did a, a volunteer stint at the Republic of Georgia a year after Russia invaded. And I saw so many refugees. And I interacted with uh, so many Georgians, which is a very impoverished country, similar to Cambodia. Um, so it was, <laughs> I, I can relate a little bit more, but it's hard, it's hard to go to the, to all the instability and um, you know, violence that occurred. Yeah, man. No, it's insane. So, so it was you and your older brother, right? And then, so, so what brought your folks to America? I mean, obviously from a, uh, from an opportunity perspective, but like help me to, to the best that you knew how at two year old, at two years old, right? Like what was that journey like for them and, and, and what kind of brought them to the States? Yeah. So, yeah, obviously Cambodia was uh, a hotbed for just, just, international um, crisis and mm. there was two countries that primarily accepted Cambodians at the time I think because they felt very responsible for the plight of the Cambodians mm. uh, it was France which was formerly the colonial masters of Indochina uh, which included Cambodia um, and 
America, which obviously participated in the Vietnamese War and the bombing of Cambodia. Um, and so a lot of Cambodians, if you didn't know this, uh, listeners, uh, live either in Paris or in Southern California. That's the two biggest populations of Cambodians uh, outside Cambodia. And it's not no a idea. big population in general. Yeah. Oh. So I actually have visited my cousins in Paris quite often. Um, but yeah, I mean, my parents went to the Philippines right after their stint in Thailand. And they were sponsored by, um, you know, they're sponsored by some family. It's the thing that Trump has said, chain migration. Mm. Um, and I remember that my parents have supported many Cambodians or cousins uh, to join, to come to America uh, since then. Wow. So they definitely paid for it. And then what, what did they do when they got, they, they moved, you guys moved to LA, is that right? Yeah. So we moved to LA. I remember uh, this is when my awakening or consciousness happened. <laughs> I guess I, I don't know. Some people remember way more from the childhood. I, I, I don't have that great of memory. Um, but I remember like living and growing up initially in somebody's garage. Uh, and I, I, I'll tell you, I didn't have my own bed. I slept with my, my brother uh, up until I left for college. Or actually, he left into college. Yeah. So that was the first time I had my own bed. Um, but they worked at, they worked on to odds and ends. And there's always these communities that does one entrepreneurial venture, and they they and then all the other people in the community see that and they see they have success in it, and they follow that model and they try to do it. So it's interesting. You've probably seen this with some ethnic groups, and I'm going to overgeneralize right now, you know, some Vietnamese folks have um, nail salons. Mm. Uh, some uh, Koreans have dry cleaners, and Northeast have markets, and mm. uh, Chinese uh, have Chinese restaurants. Uh, Cambodians, they did two things uh, in the community in LA. They either created, uh, they, they sold donuts, which is a weird thing, to, mm. to do. Um, and they also uh, created jewelry and sold jewelry. And so my parents actually got into the jewelry game uh, where they would just get odds and ends, uh, meaning that somebody would tell them, hey, create this, and they'll get a bunch of old jewelry that somebody pawned off, and then you melt, smelt it. I remember this distinctly because they were smelting gold in the balcony and then polishing it with cyanide and other sulfuric acids. Jeez. And I was, as a five-year-old kid, helping them make the chains. Like, literally, I had a little tweezer because I had you know, small hands. It's really useful. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. Actually. Or, or they're just trying to get me to work. Um, they paid me $2 <laughs> uh, a necklace. It took like two hours to make. You just get every chain. You, you tweeze it together. And then I think after each one of them, my parents said, you suck at this. <laughs> you have to redo it. Um, in any case, th- that's how they made a living for a little bit. They just got like um, contract jobs to do that, and they worked at restaurants. Neither my parents went to college or high school or elementary school or any kind of school. Mm-hmm. I think my mom always talked about how she had to uh, carry water. 
So you imagine these these, these uh, uh, poor folks in different countries having a two pails of water uh, connected to a stick, and she was always she's she's still complaining about how her back um, mm. and uh, so, so that, that that's sort of the imagery that you can conjure up, sure. um, uh, and so it's very different than a lot of Asian immigrants, where you know I think the stereotype of Asian immigrants is you come from very academically minded uh, folks and you know, maybe you have a parent that are very uh, just educated, even though um, they might still be struggling or poor, they still file education. I think my parents definitely did that. Mm-hmm. So I was still, my, my job was to get good grades. That was my, that was my only job. And that's actually, that's a pretty good thought process. Actually, when I yeah. think about it, like it, it's, it's interesting to make it into a job because that's actually what it is. Because I feel like now, if I was raising my kid, which I am, um, <laughs> I'm not sure if getting great grades is like the be all and all, but mm. it is a job. You have to, you know, it, it creates discipline, I guess, sure. to do it. Anyway, so that's how, that's how, that was like my early years. Um, and then actually, they ended up opening a donut shop near. <laughs> near Mexico, like five miles from the border. That's a weird year. Uh, and then they closed it. Um, if, if, if anybody ever realizes, or ever been to donut shop and they've seen these pink boxes, that was invented by a Cambodian, and now they are the most commonly used boxes for donuts. If you ever, if you ever see a pink box, most people associate that with donuts. Really? Yeah, yeah. that's wild. And, and, might not be a Midwest, Midwest thing, but definitely a California thing. Wow, that's wild. Um, so, so they, I mean, you mentioned like, like, like renting someone's garage. I mean, that was kind of home, home life for you was them taking this big risk. I mean, obviously, living, uh, you know, the 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 lifestyle with where they fled was not, um, you know, was was dangerous and crazy and scary and hard and, and certainly trying to raise two boys there was, 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 you know, I can't even imagine how terrifying that would be. Right. Um, but then they, they come to LA not knowing anyone and essentially sacrifice their own story to, to have you and your brother, like make it and get through school and encourage you. Like, again, I'm sure there's, there's tons of trials and challenges along that. That's such an oversimplification of course, but, um, Man, like what a beautiful picture of of parenting and love, right? <laughs> it, it, it's 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 definitely something that I appreciate very much, and it's something that I could imagine as a very classic immigrant story huh. of you know pull yourself up by the bootstraps. I, I could I could see this being a PSA of some <laughs> political <laughs> advertisement. I don't know. <laughs> Um, I don't know which way you go on that one, uh, but it's interesting. Like my parents definitely worked extremely hard. It was one of the things that I saw. Um, and my dad specifically, he was always a very gregarious person. He was always creating connections and helping people out. So I saw that from a early age. That's you know, something I, I learned and I took on my personality. Um, and, and so, even though he didn't have any education, he—I could imagine if he, you know, obviously nothing happened in Cambodia, he he would have been a pretty big person there. Yeah. Um, and so, 
we, we did have two more siblings later on in America. So we had four kids in total. And uh, I remember growing up you know, sort of without parent supervision for the most part. Mm. So it was, it was a lot of like latchkey kid kind of, you know, watching TV, yeah. coming home, doing, doing homework. Um, and then, you know, try to buy food with welfare stamps and food wow. stamps and whatnot. Man, because they were, you're saying because they were out there hustling, making ends meet. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they stopped working seven days a week until maybe five years ago. Wow, unbelievable. What are they doing? What's what's their story now? They're really well off now. <laughs> uh, they, uh, so when I went to college, right before I went to college, they started their own business. They started their own jewelry business. Huh. And that's been a success. And so I remember I was growing up in the same two bedroom apartment building, and it was six people. Wow. Um, and so as soon as I came back from college, I for the first year of college, I was like, "Okay, you guys moved," because I didn't know where the heck they were driving me to. And they moved to a house. I was like, "Why couldn't you have bought this when I was growing <laughs> yeah, up?" Right. Hey, I, I, I can't enjoy this in summers and use them interning now. So it, they, they got well off just as I was leaving home. Wish they did that two, three years ago. <laughs> sure. Of course. But man, what a neat, what a neat deal. So you, uh, and again, I don't know all the, the dots that got connected here, but you left LA. I mean, you, you travel, you went a long way off to college. Like how, how did you get from, um, Southern Cal to the East Coast for, for school? Yeah. Uh, so I was always a really good test taker. I actually ended up testing straight to college at 12. And I... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, at 12? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was pretty smart. I don't know what happened. But <laughs> Whatever, dude. Back, back then, I, I was pretty smart. Uh, yeah, yeah, I... I Tested into college at twelve, and I tried some tried some classes. I was really interested in history for some reason, which I still am very much so. Um, and I, I don't know, it just it just didn't connect for me. You know, being so small, <laughs> surrounded by all these adults. Um, so I still went to high school. But when I went to high school, I day traded, and you got to imagine day trading in nineteen ninety nine, two thousand. Also, with very little money, um, <laughs> I had to go to the. There's no cell phones, no like. You know, I didn't have a laptop, of course. I had to go to the school library, go and Yahoo Finance, go to my broker's account, forgot what it was back then, make some day trades, um, all during you know, yeah, basically excuses in between classes, um, and so that helped give me a very first-hand education and also make quite a bit of money uh, into economics and finance. And so that, that really got me really interested in getting into finance and economics. And I, I uh, applied and got into Wharton. Uh, so I, that's where I went to college. Uh, and it was one of, you know, I, I think it was a very interesting time because I was ex- in LA, I was not exposed to a lot of diversity. It's interesting because huh. LA has a lot of diversity, but, is it's at least the first that I was supposed to was basically Asian, and there's a variety of Asians, so it's a big generalization. 
um, because actually my school was one of the poorest schools in there. Um, I remember there was like a lot of do- uh, drug sniffing dogs, wow. those drive bys on the lawns. I remember that, like junior senior year, they basically told us you can't go in the lawn anymore. There's too many drive bys. Uh, I had I had a I had a classmate overdose on my lap. She just like fell over, and then, uh, then I, I remember oh telling gosh. the microbiology teacher that hey, she only uh, in class. Weird, weird. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's a weird time. And then, now I'm looking back, and I see that the the great school gave giving this uh, school a, a ten. It's like okay. I don't know how, how much these, I remember. I remember this like poor ass you. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> anyways, the, the the most of the people were Hispanic or Asian, and so it was first exposure to like uh, African Americans and and white people. Oh. I mean, I have I have a few white friends and a few black friends because, uh, but it was very small, and so then I just was spoke to so much more people. It was great. Um, uh, and during college, I actually continued to day trade and continued to play p- poker. Um, and I did really well. And I p- did well enough to win a lot of tournaments and pay for my tuition. I was also working four jobs uh, because obviously I couldn't afford any of it. I got a good size of a grant and some scholarships. But uh, I remember graduating college not having any student debt because Awesome. Uh, I paid for most of it through poker winnings and uh, my my day jobs. What was your what? That's awesome. But yeah, online poker like in the early two thousands was was you know basically like like social media is today, right? I mean, everybody was kind of kind of into it. Um, what 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 are some of your favorite poker memories? Like what tournaments or what winnings? Are, like uh, that's a fascinating story for me. Yeah, uh, so Wharton is in Philly. Philly is close-ish to Atlantic City, and this is Atlantic City train that takes you there. Um, uh, I forgot on one of those obliquity trains that only happens in America. Uh, and and I would go quite often. Um, uh, but also, I, and I wanted to stop with tournaments. I remember, um, I don't know if anyone's seen Rounder. Have you seen Rounder? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I remember going to New York clubs. And this is like just at the dawn of internet Yep. gambling so people were still going to clubs and i was this small asian kid uh i'm not sure if i'm any bigger but <laughs> small Asian <laughs> kid and uh, yeah just just gambling going to putting in yeah thousand dollars is a lot of money for myself at the Dude, time sure um and and playing with all these old guys smoking it was a and killing it <laughs> and and kind of getting kind of worried that I don't know if they're going to let me leave. That's so great. Um, but I think most of my memories are actually bad beats. Uh, for anyone playing poker, I think you just remember the bad beats. Like you had pocket aces and mm-hmm. somebody draws on the river, you just sucks you out. It's like the worst feeling. And, and enough of those feelings, I realize I'm not a gambler. Um, I'm really good at math. So I can make informed decisions based on probabilities and heuristics, and I can, I'm really good at reading people, but I just, I just have, uh, I, I don't know, every time I wage your money, it just makes it feel, uh, I very feel uneasy. Yeah. And yeah. if you are uneasy wagering money, you should not be gambling, you should not be playing poker, because if you think that you can lose money, that's when you start losing money. Mm. You have to think very 
coldly about the money you're betting, just like with anything in any kind of gambling situation that you're you're making pot odds or uh, yeah. percentage risk best, just like stock training. Um, and so I, I think after college, I stopped playing poker and um, day training because I realized that I just can't go to the big next level because I can't think of a thousand dollar chip as worthless, which is when, what you need to do to um, to, to really to really uh, do be well be well in it. That's awesome, man. I'm just picturing you around all these dudes like huffing cigarettes, and you're just like taking them to school. It's awesome. <laughs> Um, so, so you, you know, I, I know again, it's, it's much more complex than this, but like the story in my mind is like two year old kid in a straw hut chasing chickens to young, you know, adolescents, like small, you know, two bedroom apartment living with three other siblings and mom and dad making, you know, chains for two bucks a pop and not doing a very good job at it. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. growing into this like super smart, determined, disciplined young man who, uh, tests into college at 12, certainly not my path. Um, and then you leave, you leave the comfort, you know, wh- whatever comforts you had, right. Like tough high school and all that, but like you leave home, you go all the way across country to go to school, you graduate. What, like how, what did your work career, like how did that begin? Yeah, you know, I always had a lot of wanderlust, so I always wanted to just experience and try different things. So, uh, um, I mean, a wartender, they, they help you and equip you very well with interviewing and trying different jobs. And I and I had, like, a whole book I was writing. I lost a notebook, but and I should maybe revisit this one day. Yeah. But I interviewed during my college years probably 75 to 80 times. I made a game out of it. Um, and it's, it's might sound like crazy for a lot of people. Like uh, I hate interviewing. I actually love interviewing. Uh, it's just such a weird thing. I, I love just going and testing my metal and seeing if I can convince somebody to give me a job. <laughs> and, and, and I, and I, and I was very scientific about it. Like I am in most things. I, I, I just checked out if I was, you know, I, okay. So how, how much do I know about it? How much should I, and I know about how much, you know, how much body language mirroring should I have. Um, in any case, I had a lot of good job offers. I interviewed a lot of places, including investment banking, uh, which is my initial intention. I got into finance um, and worked a first full-time job out of college at an early age, right before the age of 20. Good. Um, <laughs> Uh, making for the first time significant amount of money. Obviously, the the, the poker helped, but um, <laughs> sure. which which turned into real estate eventually. Uh, it, uh, I I got a job in DC and it was really fun. I lived in New York as well earlier, but DC was one of the. Uh, it was also the first time I started drinking. I, I I didn't drink that much in college, surprisingly, mostly because I was always studying, working, or playing poker. <laughs> And I don't, um, but yeah, that was the first time I started drinking and having fun. And, and it was also one of the interesting things that happened right after I graduated. My primary motivation throughout my whole life has been mm. helping my family. Mm. It's been 
figuring out a way to improve their lives, see them struggle, and seeing that I have the capacity to help, um, and so I do. And I still feel that way very strongly, and I'm doing a lot of different things around that right now. Mm. Um, of course, it's taking to the next, next level. Um, but, you know, going out of college or getting into college, I was thinking, okay, I want to help my parents and family get out of poverty. I know I'm very smart. I can get a high-paying job in Goldman Sachs, which I did, and do all these really great things and make a lot of money and then fund it back to my parents and help them out and help my siblings out. Uh, because they're not, they weren't necessarily as, uh, you know, uh, blessed as me. Like, um, mm. And so as soon as they started, like, having success with their shop and finding some modicum of financial um, success, they, I realized I don't really have to help them. And then I was kind of aimless. Oh. I don't know, like if anyone ever has a mission, overriding mission in life and then gets that removed from them, um, it, it makes you kind of aimless. So for the first few years, I wasn't as like, just into working, or maybe it's, I haven't never been into working, and that's why I'm doing my own thing now. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, but I did invest in real estate for my first time, first few years, so that's interesting. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I and then I think yeah, then I, I caused the subprime mortgage crisis, but that was my bad. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I booked four billion dollars of subprime loans at the ripe old age of twenty-one. Um, you, you did, you, wait, hold on. You got to tell me more about that, bro. That's insane. So I studied a lot of financial, um, behavioral finances and a lot of it is on and economics and a lot of it is understanding the study of incentives and the study of how to move people to do certain things. Yeah. Yeah. And with credit cards and debt, you have to, it's a, obviously you're trying to make money as a company, but you're trying to get people to spend more and consume more. And potentially you're doing it in a way that isn't as great if things don't turn out amazing as in house prices don't keep going up, if people start keeping more money. And if things turn bad in any fact, right, which obviously did in late 2017, 2007, early 2008, um, then all that debt goes bad. So mm. I booked four billion dollars of assets by sending mailers. So I, that was my first time, like, understanding the value of marketing. Um, and I A-B tested the heck out of that. I did, like, so many designs, mailers. You probably, I probably pioneered a bunch of those things. You ever, if you guys have ever received an a, a, a envelope without an address, I, I, I can't say I, took, I, I did that first, but I definitely did it a lot. <laughs> uh, Capital One, which is with the company I worked for, was the number one um, client of the U U.S. Post Office at the crazy. time. That's crazy. <laughs> and yeah, and so we booked four billion dollars of subprime loans, which ultimately defaulted, and that caused the financial crisis. And after that, I a lot of my peers were going to B school or just sheltering because they were, you know all the financial jobs were going away. Um, I could have just moved to New York and continue working banking but i had a calling i wanted to volunteer which i've always volunteered mm -hmm. I, even during spring breaks i never took a spring break um 
I, I volunteered during Katrina. I volunteered during uh, Habitat for Humanity. Did a bunch of things around that um, in Tennessee and the South. And I, I went to, I applied to Peace Corps. And I remember at that time I was reading a lot about Genghis Khan. And I was like, into trying to get into Mongolia. And I was like, okay, I think, I think they are setting me up for Mongolia. Cause they don't tell you where you're going. Um, but I know that I don't speak Spanish very well. So they won't send me to South America. I'm not good at French, so not Africa. I'm also not a medical student or medical background. So probably not Africa or agriculture backgrounds. So it really just centers around Asia or Middle East. And I thought I was going to Mongolia, but then they gave me a chance to go early and say, okay, all right, probably let's not go to Mongolia because I've heard from the, all the people volunteers that went there. It's a 12 hour distance from any source of humanity. <laughs> um, you're in a yurt, which sounds amazing, but it's cool as hell. And I realized I'm not <laughs> a person who likes to code. I'm visiting Casey in a few weeks and I'm like, okay. yeah. I get, I, I, I'm like, I'm like shorts and sandals every day now. This is I'm living in San Diego, guys. I I am not a I, I, yeah. So I, I did not enjoy all my time in Philadelphia. That's awesome. Um, and so I, I went to I went to Georgia as a business development volunteer, and it was very interesting because when you go to Peace Corps, you're either one of two, you're generally one of two types of people. One, you're right out of college. You're very I would say hippie, I guess is the word, maybe. Um, you know, you're very like you know, idealistic. Yep. And yep. You, you're not really thinking about going to foreign service, although there's those types of people because it is a government sponsored thing. You're a part of the State Department. There's also older folks who have retired and they may be going as a couple. And I remember there's three of them, went, and I was very close to them. Uh, uh, and and they're, they have a bit harder time learning the language because um, it's hard, but harder, you know, when you're older, I, I guess. Sure. Um, but those are the type of people who go. And I was sort of, I was young still, but I had a lot of working experience, a lot of more experience than a lot of folks. Um, uh, but it was, it was fun. Uh, I met my wife there. You met her uh, on the trip. That's a host. I did, yeah. Uh, it was I had this, I had this weekend out into the port city of Batumi, and I remember there was like a Coolio concert going on. I did not attend the Coolio concert. <laughs> I have yet to attend a Coolio concert. I, I have not attended, or I have. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll go if somebody invites me. Uh, but I, I remember hearing some English voices and distinctly hearing some American voices, which huh. is rare in Georgia. So this is the Republic of Georgia, guys. This is like south of Russia, north of Iran and Turkey. Um, and I heard some American voices and I saw uh, my wife buying some peanuts with some other volunteers. She wasn't part of the Peace Corps. She was volunteering, teaching abroad. Uh, and it was my birthday in a few days and I invited her and her couple of friends to come to my village because that's what we do. We invite each other to each other's village, which is very remote. And I was working for a um, national park. And so I, we went horseback riding and I got the horses and I think we almost fell off a cliff a few times because <laughs> yeah, uh, none of us knew what we were doing. <laughs> 
Uh, and that, that's, that's how we are. That's how I get how I met my wife. That's amazing. So, so you're like in your mid-20s mid at this point? I was in my mid-20s, yeah. Okay. I was 24. That's wild, dude. How long were you on that, on the Peace Corps? I was there for uh, nearly two years. Man, that's wild. That is so cool. So then, so then that kind of, you know, played out and then, and then what, where'd you, where'd you head after that? So it's, it's funny. Peace Corps is one of the things I yada, yada, yada a lot because it's such a disconnect from my normal life. Mm. And people tell you when you go to Peace Corps, the biggest challenge isn't the acclimation. It's the acclimation back into society. Sure. Sure. Uh, I remember there's always like one or two people who just like gets off the plane in the Peace Corps uh, first day and they say, nope, send me back. And sure enough, there's two people who do that. Um, but I was dropped in to a host family who didn't know any English. Uh, other folks did have a host family that knew English. But the purpose of the Peace Corps is to separate you from other Americans and other signs of civilization as much as possible. Sort of that, uh, what you're used to and, and get you as into the local populace yeah, as possible. Yeah. yeah. And I think everybody thought I was CIA, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it, it was so interesting. It was lots of interesting memories. But getting back into America where, you know, in the Peace Corps, I was making $20 a month. And that's insane Goodness. now that I think about it because that $20 a month needed to pay for housing as well, for food. So it's just like $20 here you go, wow. leave off that. And I would go to markets and haggle over a clove of garlic and buy one egg at a time. Sunflower seeds were like, so my jam back then was also very affordable. Um, you definitely don't go out much. Um, but I also was one of those guys that had really good at language, so I learned it very quickly. And so I would go around to different villages and different families, and my village had like a thousand families. It was a pretty great community. Um, and every time I went to somebody's, um, you know, they saw me and they would invite me to host a supra for me. And mm -hmm. that's like a festival where they celebrate me as a guest. And I believe that time there's a World Cup going on. So we talked a lot about the World Cup that's and sweet. we talked about Obama. We, um, uh, great time second. <laughs> and, and it was funny because like everyone was always so giving and so just grateful um, to have me. And they were just, you know, they would, they would slaughter the last uh, uh, sheep, which is always kind of, kind of like, I, I was like, okay, don't, don't do that for me. But <laughs> anyways, I always had a good, I always had a house to live in, place to stay. They were always inviting me to everything because I knew the language. was like, oh, it's so weird that this Asian guy knows language. And of course, they don't see me as American. They always see me as Chinese or something. That, that's just facts when you're, you're not representing kosher as much. Um, yeah, going back into America, you just had to reacclimate and like, okay, I used to work with computers. What the heck was that like? Mm -hmm. I used to do analytics and data science and a bunch of different math stuff, and I haven't used it as much. And so I had to convince an employer uh, that my two years off in Peace Corps was rational. <laughs> I had to convince an employer that uh, I had skill sets still. Um, and I think I did well enough uh and i got into gaming um Riot games was one of the biggest uh, gaming companies in the world uh back then and so it was really fun joining as a startup and seeing the development happen um 
and then trying to get back into all the technical details that that it was, it was pretty easy to me for me to learn, but I was just so far removed from the internet and all the development that has sure. happened. And, and where where was that startup? Was that back in California at this point, or were you still? Yeah, that was so okay. that that was so I was finally back in LA, okay. so where I grew up near my parents, and I also brought my girlfriend, who became my wife. Um, she grew up in Ohio, and so she came with me. You know, we sort of just like, eh, we have nothing going on. Let's just go to LA, figure out, apply to jobs. You know, get get a place to live. And that's the story we're doing in Georgia as well. We're just like, you know, making it as we go, no plans, just sort of figuring out. Um, so it was a really fun time. We've met a lot of great people. Uh, and by the way, all the time, I've probably not been hitting the point home is I've also been investing in real estate. Mm-hmm. I bought three to two properties before I went to Peace Corps. I was managing them remotely. I was getting cash flow. So I was feeling good about my finances because I had cash flow. And by the time I get back to America, I finally had a W2 income again to buy more real estate. Uh, um, it, it, and real estate wasn't necessarily always my primary driver. It was just something that I saw my parents do. I saw the mastery clearly. It was easy for me to figure out. easy for me to figure out as a very low risk person nowadays that I would prefer to invest in cash flow in real estate versus stocks. Um, and so I did that while working at these full-time jobs, uh, get a bunch of different jobs, uh, different industries. And I've been lucky to have probably seven very distinct jobs and six very distinct industries. Um, yeah, man, that's so, I'm, I'm smiling thinking about like the, uh, even for me, I've known you at the, you know, four or five inch deep level, which is, which is, you know, fairly standard for a business type relationship. Like I kind of knew where you came from, kind of knew what you're motivated by, kind of knew what you're into, kind of know why you're doing what you're doing today. Um, But to hear this depth, man, and this like dimension to you and, and the, the, the ways in which you've, um, you know, kind of traversed the, 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 the world with, with some intentionality and with some purpose and with some, um, you know, kind of this, this really kind of sweet spirit of, of giving back and volunteering and taking care of your family. Like, it's just really cool. And so I'm like sitting here waiting for, okay, well, like, how'd you start working at Apple? Like, I'm, there's so many more questions, right? And, and, uh, but before we get there, I just kind of wanted to pause and, and, and affirm, man, like you're, um, you, you've got, yeah, it's such a, such a cool and, um, powerful background, my friend. Thanks. Uh, I don't really realize that often. I don't really think about and reflect a lot. And it's, it's always good to have these conversations, especially recorded. Um, I thought probably should have more of them. I feel like they drag something out of me that I don't remember. Like I'm literally just thinking now, all these memories very vividly of mm. me wandering the streets of Tbilisi going with the uh, ambassador and the president of Georgia and playing poker, drinking mm. whiskey late at night. Uh, I should tell you the story of when I went on a three week uh, camping trip or um, escape, uh, a trip with just a horse, a hatchet and a backpack <laughs> and a bottle of water uh, 
for three weeks out and chase after snow leopards. Okay. Um, yes, I'm in. <laughs> that, so, like, I, 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 these are kind of things that I yada yada, and I don't really remember, and I don't really talk about much. It feels like I've lived five lifetimes, mm. and I, and I just turned thirty six, mm. just just two days ago. Happy birthday! Happy belated <laughs> birthday! <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, man. No, it, it and I think you're right. I think the the format allows for the the. The, the real-time processing and also kind of the distillation of, of what rises to the surface and feels important to, to communicate. And so, um, no, it, it, it makes sense, right? Like it makes sense that some of this stuff is, is coming flooding, flooding back to you. Um, so you kind of, you did the gaming thing, you, you popped around. I, I, I am, yeah, all, there's, I, there's two questions. I've got one question, like how'd you get into Apple number one? And then number two, and, and maybe this, is the first question you answer, but the other question on my mind is what made you start pre Peace Corps doing the real estate investment thing? I had excess cash because I was always a saver. Mm. I, I would always like be somebody who lamented and agonized over a $10 lunch bill wow. or $7. You know, I was like, ah, I'm just going to go home and, Keep crackers. Oh. <laughs> it's probably very unhealthy, but uh, I, I was just always very, you know, I mean, that's how I saw my growing up mentality and just being, sure. even now I, I have, I'm still trying to be, I, I'm I'm definitely more generous, but I'm also trying to be more generous myself and realize I do have money now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was saving a lot. And so that helped fuel the initial investments. And what made me get into it was, you know, the subprime mortgage crisis and seeing that the housing prices has gone down significantly and seeing such great value there, it was, if you just did the math, I was like, okay, that's amazing. Mm. I could get X amount of money for this much down payment and I could potentially get some appreciation. And I didn't think about that far into mm. it. I just said, okay, I can get cash flow. I like that better than the fact that I just had my 401k wiped out by 60%. And like, that doesn't feel great. Yep. Um, right, then to the Nate. So, and 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 that also got me off trading forever. I don't trade anymore. I never. I don't actively trade. I buy index funds. I'm a boring and equity investor. <laughs> I do have some positions, but it's this long term hold value investing. Um, so real estate was sort of this antidote for instability, which is weird because huh. real estate was very instable at the time, but it was also kind of predictable. Mm. Uh, it's a in the sense that you knew people needed to live places. You knew that they signed one-year leases, and you knew that there were enough data points that you could get a certain rent collected here. And I, it was always dawned on me that I could just have my money making money for me and capitalizing on it. And that's something I always preach now. I and mean, that's what I built Tozi Capital for. Tozi means to invest in Chinese, which I speak very terribly, but uh, <laughs> so I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Um, but to invest capital, I think all, all of us have capital that we're probably not even thinking about. We have capital in our houses, capital in places that isn't earning as much as it could be. And when you optimize it, that's when you start accelerating yourself. Um, the power of compound interest and power of, of high percentage yield is very powerful. And so that's helped me snowball over time to where I'm at and to be financially free and 
have a great lifestyle uh, without having to worry about doing more. And of course, I want to do more because that's just mm. my nature. But mm. I don't have to. That's that's financial freedom. Mm. Dude, well said. Well said. It's beautiful. Um, <clears throat> we're gonna we'll we'll come back and hit that a little bit more in depth. But I gotta ask you, bro. Like uh, one of the most well-respected and well-regarded brands in the world. And as a marketing nerd, um, I'm sitting here like, man, what was it like to work at Apple? What'd you do there? What, what was the culture like? What, um, what's the inside like? Like when, when did you, uh, when did you start there and what was your job? And tell us about that experience. Yeah. Uh, you know, after Rive Games, I went to private equity. I managed the marketing of 120 branch dental office that probably from from Pop. Huh. Um, I turned that around and I made a ton of revenue for them. Uh, then I joined uh, DirecTV where we uh, grew up, grew it uh, to a larger base and then got acquired by AT&T and I was part of the merger acquisitions. I was one of the old, the youngest directors mm. at DirecTV AT&T and I was sitting across the room with all these older folks um, in Dallas and I was like, mm, not for me. Let me go to some place where I can build something again because I love building things. I don't necessarily like maintaining things as much. I build something I like to just move on. Um, and so I joined Apple because uh, I'm really good at interviewing. <laughs> I saw, um, and, and I joined in the product marketing department. So you might like this as a marketer. I worked on billions and billions and probably almost a trillion emails. And I wasn't really the copywriter, right? I was the guy who could tell the marketing team, here's how your message is being received. Here's what it's doing. Here's what you should be allocating resources towards. And then I'll tell the business teams and the, the, the um, production teams, here's how much iPhones you should expect to sell. Mm. Here's what the super cycle looks like for the iPhone 6, 6S, 7, 7S. That, those are the phones I worked on. And here's what you should do with this this unit line and that line. There's all of these migration patterns. It's all data analysis. It's understanding um, people in the micro and macro level using mm-hmm. data. Um, and that's what I do with real estate now. Uh, maybe it's not as complicated as I'm explaining it, but uh, I, I use a lot of data to figure out what drives people, how people respond to things, just like I've always done a study of incentives and study of economics. Um, and help allocate resources efficiently and optimize marketing campaigns, optimize, you know, do a lot of A-B testing on messaging. He's probably very familiar with it. Um, and it was really fun. Uh, I, it, was just, it was a fun company to work for. I actually worked for Apple for five years, longest time I've ever worked for any company. But the interesting thing is I also worked in three separate distinct roles mm. in departments. I joined Apple Music as a growth product marketer. So I did product marketing and did um, product management. I was a product manager as well. And at that time, uh, the new VP of marketing for iTunes slash music and the whole, like, you know, the the internet service thing uh, joined. And he was a former DirecTV employee, SVP. And he saw me and said, oh, hey, you're here. Yeah, I joined the year before you. Everyone <laughs> left after the AT&T merger. And I saw that you joined. Um, and I said, why don't you come join me? I said, okay, sure. And so I just <laughs> took 
leap of faith and said, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do. He, he didn't know what I'm going to do. He said, I, I saw that you were very smart and you did a lot at AT&T, DirecTV, and said, come join and do things with me. Um, and I did. And so I helped grow subscribers by several tens of millions mm. um, at music. I worked on the bunch of campaigns with Drake and LeBron. That was fun. There's tons of great fun things. Um, and then I moved on to my next challenge for some reason. Uh, and I joined to lead data science at, at Siri, which is uh, uh, always interesting to me. I, uh, I, I think it, I watched the movie Her. You guys remember that one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Rocky Phoenix. As I, I, I look forward to the day uh, mm. when we're in that world. Mm. If you know me, I am very much a technologist. I love racing towards an automated future where things are taken care of for me. Mm. I love my Tesla. I love my self-driving car. I would like Jerry to be way better. Um, <laughs> I tried to work on it. Sorry if it's not as good as, you know, don't hate on me <laughs> if I didn't make it good. I was on it for a few years. Um, I had to learn coding for the first time and I led data science, which is uh, always interesting, but essentially it's about analyzing trillions of data points, understanding what people say, translating that to data that can make product level differences and trying to make Siri better every day, essentially. Um, so during the whole time, by the way, I'm also investing real estate. And over the past year, when I was at Apple, I also really got into teaching people about real estate. Mm. And I, I didn't think about this at the time. I remember talking about it with people close to me. And I was always the kind of person that could probably get their work done in a very short amount of time. That was just always me. I could you know, take the study for an hour um, for a subject that I'd never really got into and got you know, high marks on the, 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 the score. I mean, I got perfect in SATs and all APs, yeah, et cetera. Um, so I was always really good at consuming knowledge and learning and uh, retaining it. Uh, and so I also had a lot of free time. And I think I spent most of those free time playing fantasy sports and investing <laughs> in real estate. So great use of my time for sure. That's awesome. <laughs> I had a lot of great time play, uh, playing fantasy sports. It's funny because like, I, I don't like to gamble, but I like to gamble a little bit. I still have that mentality of money. But playing fantasy sports, especially season-long ones and daily, it's like small enough that it's Scratches not that bad. Scratching the itch a little bit. Yep, yep. Scratching the itch. And still using stats, even though it's not on my control, but also enjoying sports, which I love, um, especially the Lakers. I wish they would get to act together. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, maybe by the time this is out, yeah. maybe they won. Yeah. Maybe they lost. And uh, I'm crying somewhere. So, yeah, so right. don't reach me if, if, I, if they lost. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I remember doing that and getting into real estate and really getting loving teaching people about it. And realizing people didn't know the basics. People were very smart people. People with PhDs and working at Apple, and you know, the, they're getting paid a ton of money. They have a ton. They have a ton of back, you know, great background educationally, and they just didn't know about real estate. And as soon as I started talking about it more and being more open about it, and talking about open more about money, the people started listening and saying, "That's amazing. Let me. I would love to learn from you. I'd love to." Yeah, happy as a mentor, and these are like folks like sometimes twice my age. Man. So, 
it's it's that when I started clicking for me, and that's how I ended up starting Cozy Capital. It was mm-hmm. all from a desire to help people and teach people and be generous with my knowledge and all my distillation of, of experiences um, and realizing that I do have something to share that you know, a lot of people don't know some of these basics and that I think they could optimize their finances better. And I, I never sell anything at Cozy. I think of it as a presentation of opportunities. Mm. I present people the opportunity and I make up these investment opportunities accessible for folks to better utilize and capitalize on their capital and their money. And it's something that I wish I had when I grew up uh, or when I was starting investing real estate, I probably would have done this instead of uh, investing my own and spending a lot of time banging your head against while trying to evict a tenant that had a rabbit issue. It's, it's such a weird thing when people have rabbits and they have to evict them for it. It's not because it's rabbit. It's because they have a lot of issues, but, it, you know. Anyways, I won't go too much into the real estate issues, but, yeah, that was, that was how I started Tozy. And I basically, you know, I like buying cash flowing real estate, and then people like making money, and people like making money with me. And so that's the genesis of it. Now we do a bunch of deals every year, and people invest with us. They make great money. Uh, usually 10 to 12% cash and cash returns that are tax advantage um, with a eight, 15 to 18, 20% IRR. So that like literally doubling the money every five years and paying very little, very little taxes on it, just like our mm. president. So <laughs> I learned a lot from Apple and I learned from a lot from the president. You got to use holding companies and you got to use a uh, tax, uh, tax code very you know, you got you to follow the rules for sure, but the rules are meant as a guideline. And if you arrange the facts in a way that makes sense, if you change consumption into investment, if you change spending into expenses, these are all things that are probably the same. But now that you now if you do that, the tax advantage. So I'm, I'm delving into a lot of different topics, and I'm not going to go deep into each one of them, but hopefully that gives people an idea of the power of, first of all, learning about their own personal finances. It's always astounding to me that people don't know a lot about personal finance. And I, and I understand that now because I did not learn personal finances at Wharton. Mm-hmm. You think that a school that teaches you about finance and focuses a lot on finance teaches you a lot. Oh, by the way, when I was a junior, uh, freshman year, Ivanka was a senior. Oh, no way. <laughs> I, took a class, I, took, I took a class with her. That's awesome. Uh, I, I, I literally just remember that now. And I remember that uh, this thing called Facebook was coming out and Penn was one of the third or fourth schools that was given access to it. It's a weird time. I don't know if I'm old or I'm young. I don't know. No, man, you're, you're in the sweet spot, dude, for sure. Um, and, and gosh, dang, I, I want to hit you with like a million questions around, I, I think, and we'll have to, we'll just have to do this again. Cause I've already extended my, my welcome here with your time, but um, I, I'm, I'm interested clearly in the in in the real estate piece and the in the not only just the real estate but in the the business you're building and the brand you're building and kind of the um it, it's the question i have is like why now right like at 36 with all of this insanely cool experience like why why now for your own thing um and, and then i think there's a there's a and i, I want to answer i want you to answer that question here in a second the the conversation i think we need to have another time is like 
the technology side of you, uh, I don't know if you've seen the social dilemma yet um, on Netflix, but it, it's just such a, it would be a really fascinating insight to hear your perspective on what this tech, what, you know, what, what the dark sides are and what the potential, um, you know, unforeseen challenges we're, we're experiencing, whether that's disconnection or depression or anxiety or, uh, or, or what, what the other kind of ramifications are that, that are, that are taking place in, in society, the division, that kind of thing. But that's a different conversation. So I, I, I am curious though, my man, like the, and you've, you've hinted at it along the way and you've left these bread trails, but like, it's really cool to see, and again, I, I, I have gotten to know you even so much more in this last hour, but as you step into your kind of your own influence, your own um, image, your own identity, your own brand, um, it, it, it's cool to see, and not that you were doing this, but it's cool to see being outside of the shadow of a big brand or you outside of the shadow of Apple or DirecTV, like you kind of making your own mark on the world, so to speak, like what, what led to that decision for you to say like, yep, I'm in, like, let's go. I have something to teach and invite people into. And, and now is the time to do it. You know, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and I was grasping at straws, but I was always kind of risk adverse. So it's a weird thing to be risk adverse and be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I co-founded a company that we raised a million dollars for and still going on. I'm, I guess still the CFO. I don't know. <laughs> So I'm not associated to, to that company as much, LabScoop. Um, uh, this was when I was much younger. And I, I was always trying to join startups, so join other people's start companies. And I love that concept of building something, as I said earlier. Um, but as I got more successful in corporate America, this is the, this is the trap that they provide you, mm-hmm. that they give you so much comfort and security. And working at Apple for five years and seeing the uprun of the Apple real, uh, stock and, and the way that they come to you in Apple and the level that I was coming in and sort of the highest level. I was always the youngest of whatever rank out, you know. So I was, and I was always a good performer. So I got a lot of competition. It was, I was very grateful for it. But it's also a trap. Like I interviewed a lot and I saw my market values that, oh man. I don't think I can go from these companies. I would be taking steps down. And I just couldn't do that to my family. Um, but I also wanted to start my own thing. I always wanted to do something. And then I realized that I've been doing something my whole life, which is real estate. I That's my entrepreneurship. Yeah. I just haven't made it into a product, made it into, a, into something that is a business. And so now it's connecting dots that I'm turning real estate into a business and making it accessible and I'm managing a team of 20 plus and, you know, I had to figure out my, the main issues this morning <laughs> and, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's all interesting. And I, something that I always wanted to do, but it's always something that it was hard, hard for me to leave. You know, when my opportunity cost is very high, I was making a very comfortable living, mm. you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Um, yeah, and, it was, you know, mid seven, mid six figures, basically. And I was also making quite a bit of time in real estate. So I c- mm. literally, I could just retire now at the right old age of 36. Mm. Um, but I, you know, going, taking the leap was also something I just had to do. I was like, okay, I'm really excited about this. I was waking up every day and just like, 
I wanted to build this out. I was thinking about the website a lot, which you see my website, but that's my fourth iteration of the website. I just like <laughs> just changing things up. I'm thinking of all new kinds of ways to do things. And I see this industry and I see how much it's lacking to, you know, they, they can be improved, both on the user experience, which I care deeply about, but also from the way that it's, it's structured. Um, and I was talking, texting my friend last night, uh, about this, and I have these conversations late at night because I'm an NL. Um, but basically, the whole business model is if you build enough of a following by creating value for people, you treat everybody right, you provide transparency and honesty, and you provide education and content, and you never sell, which is what I've done so far. Mm. I have the investors and the momentums to acquire tons of great performing assets mm. and have a business that surpasses all uh, the highest amount of stuff that I've ever done in Apple. Mm. Um, and it's very, it's very rewarding to build something yourself, but not just yourself, but, but partner with people. Cause I am definitely not the kind of person to build things myself. I am, I love bringing people in. It's something that if anybody is just persistent and they ask me multiple times, I, I don't mind being their mentor. I don't mind bringing them into my company and seeing what they got. Because um, I, I love I love working with people who are as excited and as motivated and as hungry as me. Um, and so that's how I built this big team up. And and I love working with people who aren't in real estate too because they want to be in real estate. I see their passion for it, and I. Wish I had someone like myself helping them myself out early on. So I'm mentoring several people as well, and I, I provide them great financial opportunities to. And I don't even charge anything. I know some people charge people for mentorships, um, and, I, and people have asked me how much do you charge. Like I, I don't like the concept. I, I want to do things because I I like doing it. If I don't like doing it, I'm not going to do it. You can't pay me enough to do it. My opportunity cost is high. I I have a very high bar for everything I do, mm. so hopefully that resonates with my investors. Uh, I I make offers on a bunch of things. I don't take things because it doesn't meet my very high criteria. Um, but that's just but that's what's given me I guess financial freedom. Like going back to this thing of having passive income gives you the ability to say no more often, and giving the, you the ability to say no in your career is very powerful. If you can say no to things and you can say, I don't need to take this shit or I, I, you know, I have FU money, which obviously if you're making a couple thousand dollars a month from real estate, maybe that's the case. Maybe that's not the case because that definitely wasn't the case, but it gives you the feeling of I have something else. I'm fine. I don't, I'm not desperate. And when you're not desperate, you, you have more leverage and you have more control. You take better risks. And that's, and that's how I've risen up to the ranks of corporate America and, got you know these places um and so i always loved this concept and providing that to other folks um and, and it's been a wild ride and i've only been doing it for you know less than a year now and i believe i'm probably in the top 10 percentile of people in this industry mm -hmm. and i can see myself getting a lot bigger yeah Dude, in, in, in you are. I mean, in, in real time, it's happening, right? Like, it's it's happening by the week. Every every 10 or 14 days that you and I connect, it's like, oh, man, like, your world um, is expanding, and it's different. It's super cool. It's super cool to watch, man. 
Um, well, l- last question, and, and again, I know we've we've uh, we've exhausted the the uh, the hour plus here, my friend. So I'm grateful for your time. Um, but and, and I know this is a difficult question to ask, but like the vision for your next two to three years, what does that look like for you? I'm trying to build something that I firmly can continue. And what I mean by that is that I realize that I get bored easily and I'm trying to make it a way that I just remove stuff that I got bored of. I've, I've changed up every few years. I am very good at adjusting and learning new things. Um, so the vision for myself is building a community and a company. I think of them the same that I really enjoy talking to that I enjoy. That's my social setting that I create value for people. Um, and, you know, from financials, like it's also getting to a billion dollars of assets under management. It's going really big and also doing it in a way that is sustainable for me, mm. um, where I can have financial freedom to do this anywhere, where I can spend time with my kids. Um, and I can hear my son yelling outside my office all the time. <laughs> and it's fun to just step out when I can and have this great house for him and I'm always worried about how I'm going to ground him, you know, not ground him, but like, you know, keep him grounded yeah. uh, with all the, you know, he's not a trust fund that he probably is terrible. Because mm. <laughs> um, it's hard, hard to avoid that. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, and I also just bring people in and helping them out. Like I'm, I'm very hopeful to help out my friends who are, who have joined my company and have seen it as something special that they can help build and yeah. contribute to and participate in. Um, and also helping my family even more. That's so, so awesome, brother. Not bad for a, uh, uh, as you described yourself, a chicken chaser. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The chickens are hard to catch, man. (laughs) Oh, dude, of course. All right. We, we end, uh, five quick, uh, we end every show with five quick questions. So just first thing that comes to your mind. Does that sound good? Yep. All right. First one. Um, what's the last book that you read or listened to? The last book that I read and I don't have a great memory and I don't read books. <laughs> I listen to books. Um, damn it. Uh, no worries. Uh, the, 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 last, uh, the last book I remember very vividly was Red Rising. I, I love fiction. I love sci-fi huh. fiction too. Huh. So I, it's a great series, Red Rising by Paul Pierce Brown. I, I, I'm probably butchering things. Nice. Great book. If you guys have a chance, check it out. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, second is, what would you do right now if you weren't afraid? If I wasn't afraid, um, I would probably hire a lot more people. Huh. Cool answer, man. Yeah, it's a good answer. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite, like, Saturday morning T-shirt? Like, what? what's your go-to T-shirt? My go-to T-shirt is my Yang Gang T-shirt. I have a lot of Yang Gang apparel from his failed residential run. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. I love it. Um, what's your favorite place on earth? My favorite place on the earth is, I guess, outside and camping. I was just in Joshua Tree. Mm. I love just being around nature. And I don't get a chance to do that often. And I've traveled to 40 plus countries and I love Peru. I love climbing into trails, but I just love 
being outside and just and that's one of my most favorite times of you know peace corps i was a camp park ranger that's so I was cool. just out in great terrain yeah that's so cool man that's so cool all right last one man when it's all said and done what do you want to be remembered for i want to be remembered for helping people out and helping them unlock their potential and 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 seeing that and hopefully thinking that they they can feel that they can pay it for themselves through what i've provided them dude love it uh, where can people follow along on your journey, my man? Yeah, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, where I post a lot, and hopefully good content will help me post more. But um, <laughs> wow. I'm also on, you know, I have a website, tozycapital.com, as Dustin uh, provided. And also I'm launching sometime whenever I get my lazy ass out of doing, I know it's going to sound lazy, <laughs> but uh, Financial Freedom Decoded where I try to provide people educational videos on getting financially free. Um, it's basically my ramblings of all my dissolutions, my podcast. Oh, dude. It is, uh, it was a pleasure, my man. I'm sorry we went so long, but I, I could have, I could have asked you a thousand more questions, dude. I'm, um, I'm really humbled that you would share your story. Uh, and I know those, those, those details that came flooding back were really powerful, man. So thank you for being willing to be with us and to share uh, a, a big chunk of your story with us today, man. Well, I'm very grateful, Justin, for having me on. And I always appreciate these conversations. I don't think I get a chance to do this often. And while I'm on some podcasts, a lot of them are very business, podcast, uh, real estate related. And I'm happy to talk about that, but it's always great to introduce my story. And hopefully this provides some value to people, maybe some inspiration. And also, just uh, I just love, like talking to you. It's great, great chatting with you again. Well, likewise, my friend. And and absolutely, this is going to provide a ton of value. So, um, thanks again, my man. And we'll uh, we'll share all the show note info or all the info for where people can follow you uh, on on LinkedIn and the website and everything else in the show notes. So, thanks again, Ang. All right. Thanks. Take care. As always, thank you for listening. Your attention is super valuable, so thank you for giving it to us. If you're a fan of the show, please go rate and review us wherever you're listening to this. I would really appreciate it. Until next time, when we get to share another great conversation with you, have a great week and let your life tell a meaningful story.